Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. When you think about your school's policies, who do they benefit? What are they for? When you consider your black and brown students, are they at an advantage, disadvantage, equal playing field? These are some of the questions Dr. Marcus Campbell and his school had to look at. They had a powerful mirror moment sparked by a student protest regarding the dress code. They also took a hard look at access to AP classes and made it change. We jump into the dress code conversation first and then take a hard look at equity and access to AP. You're going to love this episode. So, Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we jump in to the show, let's take some time to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. In the Mastermind, we believe that questions are better than answers and that there's power in connecting with other elite performers. Kevin, a principal in Tunisia, had this to say about his Mastermind experience. I feel more connected to the everyday changes in education. In addition to being more informed, I feel empowered to bring new educational ideas and strategies to my team at my school. We'd love to serve you in the mastermind and welcome your application. Enroll today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Hey, Ruckus Maker. Uh, thanks for joining us. We're here again with expert coach, Dr. Kelly Crane, who's going to share a practical tip of the week. So Kelly, what do you have for us? Danny, the tip of the week is be consistent. There's nothing worse than being inconsistent. The teachers are going to roll their eyes. You're going to lose trust. You have got to be consistent always. Inconsistency leads to probably bad leadership, in my opinion. So I would give an example of if you are scheduling your evaluations, if you're to be in the classrooms, and most of the teachers are going to schedule a formal evaluation for you to come in and see. If you've got stuff on your calendar and they're expecting you in their classroom, you need to do everything in your power to be in that classroom and show that you are consistent with everything um, that you say you're going to do. And that's another good point. If you say you're going to do something, follow through. Do that task. If a teacher asks you for some help in something, follow through. And I think that consistency and follow through go hand in hand. So again, Danny, tip of the week, be consistent. Principals, get out there and really do what you say you're going to do. I have a a tip in terms or a quote uh, for consistency and authenticity. I forgot who said it, so I feel terrible. I know it's a leadership expert out there. I can't remember who I got this from, but I was building an authenticity course for the Go community. And so I came across this quote, and the gist of it is this. Authentic leadership is a leader's ability to lead with their mind, their mouths, 
their heart and their feet, right? That they're thinking the right things, they're saying the right things, they're feeling the right things and doing the right things. And that consistent leadership over time uh, leads to trust. And people love a leader that they can trust. And that w- that's the idea behind the quote. I feel so bad that I can't remember who came up with it. But it gets to what you're saying, Kelly, that consistency is what it's all about. Any final thoughts before we move on to the podcast? I just think it's so important that you walk the walk, talk the talk, and do follow through, do what you say you're going to do, and make sure the teachers can trust you. Well, speaking of consistency, you've heard this a million times, unless you're brand new to the show today. But at Better Leaders, Better Schools, we believe that everybody wins when a leader gets better. Everybody wins when you, Ruckus Maker, get better. And so join one of our new cohorts launched by Dr. Kelly Crane of The Mastermind. And you can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Well, Dr. Marcus Campbell, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Daniel. We go way back. I don't want to bore though the listeners, you know, with that whole history story. Maybe we'll tell it later. We're going to start with a bang. You took on dress code, dress code within your school and your district. Can you tell us the story of how you implemented change regarding the dress code? Yeah, thank you for um, for having me on the show, Daniel. I really appreciate it. Uh, dress code. So our dress code, like many schools across the country, was a bit dated. And our students weren't happy with the dress code. Who was dress coded? And I'm using that as a verb. Uh, wasn't fair across gender, wasn't fair across race even. And uh, one day our students posed a protest and uh, they uh, demanded that we come and talk to them about how they were feeling about the dress code. Uh, Being put in gym uniforms because they weren't dressed appropriately felt like that they were Hester Prynne and and the Scarlet Letter. And I've taught that book many times, so I (laughs) know what that is. And So we sat down with them, we talked with them, and and short of it is that uh, we've used the uh, National Organization of Women, now organization, the Oregon chapter, who wrote a model dress code for schools, and we adopted that. We modified it. We adopted that, and it's just taken off nationally. Mm. So tell me, you know, I, I know you, but as a leader, how are you open to student voice, right? Because in some locations, in some states, you know, the kids across the world are as smart, as empathetic as your students are, uh, as aware that something isn't right here. And they might have that protest and then it just gets silenced. So what is it about you and your community, the culture that you're building that you said, okay, you know, this, this voice, their voice matters and maybe there is a better way. Well, I think that, um, you know, our students are very attuned to themselves, their lives, and I'm always curious about their experiences. What are the experiences that they're having in class? What experiences are they having in the hallways and the cafeterias? And when they take the time to organize and to plan and to talk about something that I know is legit, uh, and I can't argue with anything of what they're saying, because even with my adult self, I know that they're uh, that they're right, and so yeah, I've always listened to students. Uh, my students would uh, grade me at the end of, of of my classes when I was a teacher. 
I always found that the student voice uh, helped me uh, be a better learner, be a better teacher, and student voices helped me be a better leader. It doesn't say that you turn the school over to, to the kids, but the kids can advise you in ways that uh, you wouldn't think that um, that they would or could. Uh, and I often tell leaders all the time, take the time to listen to the listen to the students because uh, they really have something to say. So there's surveys, there's informal conversations, cafeteria hallway. There's a protest, which is another way to listen to them as well. Uh, can you tell me, and I'm just curious, how was the staff feeling when this all went down? Oh, the staff were, they were split, right? Okay. We had a lot of staff members who were saying, this is wrong. Young ladies should be dressing like this. But the young ladies say, you know, for example, someone, our staff would say, you know, these girls are just being distracting, distracting to the boys. And the kids say, well, the boys should manage their own distractions. And I totally agree with that. Why is the burden on a young woman um, and her body the, the, on her for a, a man, for a boy, for a young man? And that's just not, that's not fair. And that doesn't send the right message. And so when I begin to talk about that to the staff and with the staff, they got on, many of them got on board. But they were iffy. They didn't know which way it was going to go. A lot of them didn't agree with it. And, you know, some predicted anarchy in the school and nothing has changed about our school day. Right. Except for we're not spending all of this time. Mm. Right. It's up sending them to the dean, calling their parents, giving it's all of that. Distract. That was distracting. <laughs> That's the distracting piece when kids are out of class or sent to the dean because they're wearing a hat or because they have a hoodie. Like, who cares? Let's, if, learning, if learning is our focus, let's, let's focus on the learning and leave the dressing uh, and the dress behaviors a decision with the parents. That, a kid coming to school with what they wear is not necessarily always a school decision. It starts with the families and the households first. So when I start talking like that, the staff uh, pretty much got on board and everything's been pretty, pretty cool since then. What a powerful reframe. Ruckus makers, did you hear that? The distraction was riding the students up, making them feel like the scarlet letter wearing those gym clothes, calling home, all that kind of stuff. That is so incredible. And uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, the school is still standing. School's still standing. Kids are still learning. <laughs> <laughs> Scores are still great. Uh, yeah. No one... You know, school is school. As a matter of fact, first period is going to be starting in a few minutes. All is well. All is well. So uh, one of those shifts had to do with with uh, how some of your female students were dressing. Um, I heard hats and hoodies. Any other sort of uh, bigger bigger shifts that happened within the dress code? Well, it was more of a consciousness around race and gender. There were, as I said, there were responsibilities placed on our young girls, our young women that were not on our young men, depending on the body type, determined who was in violation. And so uh, we wanted something that was body positive. Some girls who were a little bit more developed than others were coded and other girls were not. And, you know, then who makes that determination? And so we had a real uh, conversation about gender and race and all of that. And so our dress code didn't really serve anybody well, but white males. So, um, and we have a school of kids of 57% students of color. Uh, and we have kids in all shapes and sizes and all of that. And our dress code 
was more advantageous for white males as opposed to other kids. And uh, we needed to make that right. And they helped us make it right. So, uh, yeah, if you weren't a white male, you didn't get sent to the dean's office for being dress coded. But if you were a woman, uh, if you were a woman of color, if you were a male of color, you were in the dean's office because for for, for some reason or another. Mm. Did the students find that what you modeled your dress code after in uh, Oregon or was that something the adults found? Uh, It was something that um, the adults we found. Uh, but the students had written a list of the kinds of things that they wanted to see in the dress code. They didn't think that their shoulders were too distracting. Why can't they show their shoulders? Uh, things like that. So um, they gave us some recommendations and uh, we followed suit. And it made it made total sense to us. And it challenged me, Daniel. It mm. challenged me as a leader because I was uncomfortable. My own respectability politics, the way I grew up, seeing my dad wear a suit every day and all of that was challenged. And I had to let go, right, listen to the students and uh, make sure that whatever we were building created a safe environment for all kids. And that's what I was really concerned about, safety and expression, because the kids need to express themselves. But it was a challenge for me as a leader to, to really follow through. I had to work through a lot to make that happen. I want to stay there and how you work through the challenge, because here's the thing. So Derek Sivers has this quote, what is ordinary to you? I mean, you're just telling this story. It's ordinary to you. But to me, Marcus, it's extraordinary, right? So you have all these these, uh, stories from your past that have helped you become who you are and who, you know, the leader you are today. And it was a challenge, right? So how do you get past that and not just shut, shut down those other ideas there? in conflict with potentially how you've been raised? Well, yeah, I mean, it's about empathy and uh, really uh, trying to understand like what what's the main thing and trying to keep the main thing the main thing. And the schools have, have shouldered the, the responsibility of teaching kids the curriculum and uh, lots of other things. And I'll tell you, there was, there was a lot of concern around, oh, you need to teach these kids how to be adults and how to dress professionally in the world. And we still do, (laughs) right? Uh, Just because they can come to school with and be comfortable doesn't mean that we've we've thrown out the ability to teach them how to be respectful and responsible. Our kids go on job shadow opportunities all the time and they dress appropriately. No student has taken advantage of the dress code. Like no school student has come to school in body paint, right? Or anything like that. So they're responsible. And uh, I had to work through, as I said, my respectability politics and keeping the main thing the main thing. What is it? It's learning. And can we still teach the same values, but teach them in a different way? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, and I've challenged myself to like think outside of the box and try to think outside of what's the status quo and try to, to think through like what, are, what can we do differently? What should we be doing differently, especially if it's hurting kids? If it's hurting kids, and I've got young women saying that they feel some kind of way about being a woman in my school because of how I am asking them to dress, I got to think about that, right? Because that's important to me. And uh, that's what we did. Last question regarding dress code. Students have a protest and they say, whatever, we're not coming to class or what until we talk. What does that talk? look like? Is that a, a select group of student representatives? Is it the entire junior class in the gym? Put that, 
Yeah, give us, give, paint us that picture. I remember. So I was meeting with the superintendent about whatever. And our superintendent's office is within the school. And I hear from uh, his secretary and another staff member that there were some students who I gathered outside of his office to protest. And we were like, protest what? It was like the dress code. So, of course, I'm the one that's nominated to go out and dress the kids. And there could be, I don't know, between 300 and 450 kids out there. And they're not, they're just standing there. It's like a sit-in, right? They're not chanting. They're not loud. They're not disruptive. But they, there's a speaker. And, you know, a student's name was Margie. Margie's speaking. And this is unacceptable. And we should be able to blah, blah, blah. And the kids are just kind of clapping. And uh, we demand to sit down with the administration. And I say, hi. You know, and then I schedule a meeting uh, with Margie, um, who was leading the conversation. And uh, I said, Margie, all right, let me let's hear it. I want to know what you all are thinking and uh, which way we should go with this, because I agree with you. Let's let's try to figure this out. All right. So if I got correct me if I'm wrong. So the 350 students outside superintendent's office within the school. Yep. uh, Silently protesting, not causing a disturbance. And Margie is the spokesperson. You schedule a meeting with her. She breaks it down for you. And from there, the conversation progresses. There you go. That's how it goes. That's how it went. Awesome. Well, let's switch gears and talk about access and equity to AP classes. Uh, Maybe another sort of sacred cow that you decided to take on within the school. And, And how did you drive that change and break free from the status quo? Um, well, we have been talking a lot about what our classes look like, like having the honest conversation, Daniel, <laughs> about what do our classes look like? Who's in our regular level courses? Who's in our remedial courses? Who's in our honors courses? Who's in AP? And we, as a community, as a school, love to celebrate our diversity as a school. As I say, we're 57% kids of color. But if you looked in our classrooms, you could predict a class level based on the race of the kids who were in the class. So if I'm looking at a white class, I know I'm looking at an AP class or an honors class. If I'm looking at a a class that was predominantly kids of color, I'm looking at a regular class or a medium class. And that's just unacceptable, right? And so de facto segregation and uh, we challenged ourselves to think about how do we how do we tackle this. So what we decided to do, we detracted freshman year, and instead of just awarding an uh, uh, honors credit or having an honors level track, we collapsed the honors level track with our regular level uh, track, and we built a system that was backwards designed from AP to help all of the kids starting at the freshman year be more successful as they progress through the high school with a certain set of skills. And what we did was we built a machine, right? We built a machine that would, as soon as the kids get to the high school, they are working with um, a rubric that would launch them um, into more rigorous courses as they progress through the high school. And now, uh, 10 years later, we have the highest number of kids of color taking AP classes, the highest number of kids getting threes, fours, and fives on those AP exams. Uh, And we have more white kids getting uh, more uh, threes, fours, and fives. And so our our AP enrollment has has just taken off. We have more students of color in the history of our school. And we're boasting some of the highest ACT scores in the history of the school, simply because we raised expectations for kids of color and we gave them 
uh, the access to rigor, and we um, <laughs> gave them the supports to be able to do that. And so now we're like uh, experiencing some of the benefits of our of our labor there. Yeah. So access, expectations, and support—that's a pretty solid stool to stand on there. Yeah. Yeah. The staff again, like the dress code, I'm sure <laughs> maybe had some questions regarding this. Uh, but what what was their response? Uh, you know, staff and community, we were skeptical. Are we hurting those kids because they can't do the work? Uh, I said, you know, based on their scores, they can do the work, <laughs> you know. And uh, what are we going to do with those kids who can't, who don't know how to write? I said, teach them how to write. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what we do in school. And so um, there was a lot of community input, a lot of conversation in the school. And uh, it wasn't all pretty. Mm-mm. It was very uh, divisive, but we made it through. Our, our board voted uh, for us to do this unanimously. And, you know, we have, uh, and there were skeptics. Our staff staff were skeptical because we hadn't done it before. And mm-hmm. some folks were thinking, oh, we're hurting the kids. And then others just didn't want, you know, they thought that black kid, black and brown kids in upper level courses would water down the curriculum. So there was all of this this stuff, and so uh, we just decided to talk about it openly and honestly. And I know that's a that's a, something that I encourage all like leaders to do: talk honestly about what is happening in your school. It might be painful and it might be uncomfortable, but you have to talk honestly about what's happening in the school. So we did that, and um, you know, all of our staff members, you know, began to get training in differentiation. We were having workshops and they built the rubrics, right? So the staff, Mm -hmm. teachers themselves built the instruments that they would be using. We use that to get buy-in and, uh, you know, we've detracted English, we've detracted history, we've detracted biology, and we detracted geometry, which people say can't be done in math. You can't detract in math. And we did it. Uh, Our teachers did it, right? Hmm. So I'm really excited about that. Love it. The honest conversation, how do you prep for that? I think this is one of those examples of it being, you know, normal to you, but extraordinary to me. What, what might be a question or how would you start that conversation? <sighs> That's a good question. I think it comes down to like personal integrity. You know, you got to look at your data, right? And be, a lot of folks look at data and they see their job in the data. They see their job security or lack of that in the data. And you just can't be afraid of it, right? You got to know what it is, what you're dealing with, and be honest. And it comes down to, am, are we going to really, uh, can I, as I am a leader, am I going to really be be really sh- straight shooter about, about what's in front of me? Or am I going to spin it in somehow, right? Uh, am I going to make an excuse about what's there? And I chose to just, you got to be honest and be transparent. Because I find that, you know, a lot of the teachers, uh, newer teachers and generation that's coming into schools and working in schools, people appreciate honest feedback, right? Honest conversation about about data, about what's happening in school. People do not respect this, oh, let me pull the wool over your eye and tell you that you're not seeing what you're seeing, what you're not experiencing, what you're experiencing. I think a key to leadership is being honest and being direct and being transparent about what the kinds of things that are going on. And that comes down to, to personal integrity, I believe. Marcus, I'm loving this conversation. We're going to pause here just for a second. 
for a message from our sponsors and then return. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at OrganizedBinder.com. Students who participate in the Conrad Challenge don't learn to think outside the box. They realize there's no box to begin with. Learn how innovation takes off and soars beyond the confines of traditional education. Register until November 1st at conradchallenge.org. All right, and we're back with Dr. Marcus Campbell. We're talking dress code. We're talking equity and access to AP classes. Uh, where we left off last was this, this discussion, an honest, a transparent discussion about personal integrity and really what's happening in schools. Uh, my last question here, Marcus, regarding this topic, I think, and, and feel free to disagree with me, but I think that people make decisions primarily off of emotions rather than logic. And I'm wondering if you've seen that within some of these bigger shifts that you've made at the school and how you might harness the power of emotions when you're trying to make those shifts that you know need to be had. I personally never make a decision when I'm too emotional. Never. When I'm reactive or I'm having a bad day, I never make a decision out of emotions as a, like a big, like decision, right? Like something that's going to impact the school. I try to monitor myself when I'm having a difficult conversation with the teacher or a parent when I'm not too wound up. I always find, I found that when I make decisions out of emotions, they're, the, they're bad, right? They're short-sighted. You know, um, it's just, they're just not good. So I try to stop myself, right? And I process, I talk with other administrators and I like, you know, can get it all out and then come back to the conversation when I'm a little bit more grounded and centered, which is important in leading, you know, centering yourself. So to be sound and to make sober decisions. And, uh, but that is not to say that I don't, have an emotional reaction to a decision that is made, <laughs> right? Uh, but making a decision out of emotion is something that I practice. I try not to practice. Uh, I use my colleagues and my support systems uh, to really help me get grounded uh, so that I'm not making a reactive decision and say, oh, well, we're just going to cancel prom. Well, that's really not a smart decision <laughs> or we're just going to, that's an example. Right. I've never had that, but that's just I can imagine that some principal was upset with the senior class and said, okay, we're not gonna have a problem because they're upset, which is not my situation. But but yeah, I, I try not to do that. I try to make sober decisions. And when I'm too reactive, I have I reach out to my uh to my support system for nurturing. <laughs> I love that. And I'm just gonna plug right now our leadership community. If you need that support system, we highly encourage you to apply. BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com forward slash mastermind. Uh, Marcus, talking about emotional and physical health, uh, what do you do? Because today's a big day, right? We're recording. It's 8 in the morning. You told me you got the board meeting. You're going to be at work 9.30, 10 p.m. That's a long day. So what do you do throughout the the work week, uh, yeah, the school year to, to keep that emotional and physical health? 
Um, a couple things. Every morning I meditate. I, uh, I try to get to the gym. It's hard to do that, um, to get to the gym. I go to Orange Theory Fitness. And I found that that's been very helpful for me. I eat, I sleep, I drink water, and I listen to my body. Um, and then some days, if I can help it, I just, I don't do anything. If the kids are running around, my, my own kids, you know, if they're doing their thing. I just try to, you know, give them some parameters and try to rest. That maintaining that balance is really, it's just as hard as the job. You know, when you have so many demands at work, yet your body and your mind and your heart, spirit, and your soul can't really keep up with the, the physical demands, the emotionally taxing things. I mean, every educator knows that the work that we do is emotional. Teaching, uh, you teach from the heart, you teach from the soul, right? And if you're a principal, you like lead from the heart and you lead from the soul. So that's a lot of work, right? Uh, Physically, emotionally. And I think it's just really important uh, to make sure that, you know, we fill ourselves up so that we can pour out. And uh, that's one of the ways I try to do that is to meditate, drink water, sleep, get rest, work out when I can. And uh, therefore, I have something to offer uh, when I'm showing up and I can be my best self uh, because I have I've made myself a, a priority. Because if I don't make myself a priority, you know, my own children suffer, uh, my family relationships suffer, you know, people who, who work with me uh, suffer. And uh, I got to gotta prioritize myself. And I learned that the hard way. I don't know if you want to expound on that, but what was, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a curious guy and here's, here's why I'm asking, right? Not to put you on the spot, but there's a ruckus maker listening to this show right now and they're in the red and they're not listening to their body. You know, they're not taking time uh, for their family and all that kind of stuff. And so is there anything there that you can share to, to encourage our listeners? Yeah, I found myself, you know, in some rough times in my personal life with my with my wife. Look, turned out that my cortisol was up, my blood pressure was up. I was on the verge of something very catastrophic happening to me physically uh, until I made some changes. And now all of my numbers are low and my relationships are sound, but I, I had to do that or I would not be talking to you today. So I, I encourage, I have a cousin who's just had a stroke and this is his second one. And I have friends around me who are having um, health issues due to stress. You know, stress is a silent killer. And I have uh, worked to uh, be a sort of an evangelist about wellness because um, it's important to be well uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally uh, in order to do the thing that you love and to do the thing that you want to do. In the last three months, Marcus, what's one resource that's helped you level up the most? One resource that has left helped me to level up. Oh, gosh. I would say I read a, a book on Frederick Douglass, official biography of Frederick Douglass, uh, written by Dr. David Blight, who is a um, historian. I believe Dr. Blight is at Yale. I read this 764-page biography and loved every minute of it. Every page of it. it was over winter break, and uh, I just I felt energized. I felt I felt like like I had a lot, like a purpose in the world, and I I felt like like I knew Frederick Douglass, and I had because I'd always been an admirer of him uh, growing up, like reciting his speeches. So yeah, it would have to be David Blight's book on Frederick Douglass. 
and also Game of Thrones, man. You know, I just kind of like sitting back <laughs> and watching the human experience play out on in a drama like that. And uh, it's been great. <laughs> what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Uh, two words. Love wins. I think we need more love in the world. <laughs> I think we need more compassion, more empathy, uh, more compassion. It's a lot of, a lot, a lot of hate, a lot of, a lot of people feeling unloved, feeling unseen, feeling uh, unheard, undervalued. And uh, I just wish that we could have more love, more love for ourselves, uh, more love for our neighbors, and uh, more love for people who don't look like us. Uh, more love for people who disagree with us. And I just think that love wins. If we love ourselves and love our kids and love, I think that the world would be a better place. You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities? Top three priorities. This is a really interesting question. Um, <laughs> I often... I'm critical of folks who can't do this well, so let me try to do it. Um, <laughs> I believe I believe that that schools, right, uh, should be the center of health, right. So I think that kids should be able to uh, have mental health, wellness, and learning in one space, right. And so that means having accessible re- accessible resources, meals. Lighting, natural light, sunlight, you know, books and places to play and to relax and to get therapy and to uh, get their, you know, shots, immunizations, learn about health. I mean, meditate. Right. I think that schools should be that and uh, we should have staffing. We should have facilities that support that. Love it. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast of all the things we talked about today what's the one thing you want the ruckus maker listening to remember i would say do what you have to do when you have to do it regardless of how you feel Uh, i think that's the essence of change i think it's the essence of discipline and don't be afraid to to break the rules thanks for listening to the better leaders better schools podcast ruckus maker If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.